0: Family Matters was a sitcom about a working-class black family in Chicago, and it came on TGIF, Friday. You used to have to stay home on certain nights to watch the TV that you wanted. It didn't just come to you that way. Family Matters was a great show. Even if you hadn't heard of Family Matters or watched it, you have probably seen one character, Steve Urkel. <laughs> Did I do that? <laughs> He's an iconic character, but all the characters on this show were fan. Fantastic! It was such a rich family. There were aunts, uncles, there was dad, there was sibling conflict. It was so good. But if I'm honest with you, I loved all of those family sitcoms of the 80s and the 90s. And part of it was that their songs were so good, right? Growing Pains." show me that smile, Logan. show me that smile. <laughs> this, this is going to get more awkward if you all don't <laughs> sing with me. Uh, <laughs> of the Golden Girls. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. My heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. Hey, Zach has me somewhere. Where's Zach? Zach needs to come help me. Okay, and one of my favorite theme songs, Charles in Charge. There's a new boy in the neighborhood. Somebody's got it. He lives downstairs and it's understood. He's there just to take good care of me, like he's one of the family. (laughs) All right, we could be here all day and I could just sing sitcoms. I didn't hear you in the video cafe, just pointing that out. I didn't hear you online at home on your computers. Well, part of what I loved about these family sitcoms wasn't just the song. It's they highlighted what was good about family. Some of the big achievements, the great moments, some of the great interactions, so much of the love. And of course, some of those tender, heartwarming moments where they learn a lesson. And when I think about what that looks like in my family, I think about Christmas Eve. See, my family wasn't like a proper kind of family where like dinner will be served at six, there'll be a soup course followed by a salad course, and you eat from the inside out with your forks and your spoons. That's not my family. My family was like, show up between two and 11, bring food, it's going to be fun, And so for Christmas Eve, that's what we do. we just open the house and family would come in in shifts and I'd get a chance to hang out with everybody. You'd exchange presents. It's just a really good time that I remember about my family. But I also remember some real-life drama about my family, the kind of things that they don't show in those sitcoms. I mean, come on. Our families don't look like those sitcom families. Even their dysfunction was neat. Our families are messy. And I'm not just talking about the people we live with, I mean our extended families, aunts, uncles, sisters, brothers, mom, dad, grandparents, and even cousins and cousins that aren't really cousins. Just people who show up, are you really my cousin? (laughs) Everyone has a family and all families are messy. All families are messy because all people are messy. All families are messy because all people are messy. If you have a messy family, can I get an amen? Yeah. yeah. Okay, y'all are ready for this one. Okay, you showed up ready. Okay, but there's a difference between messy and messed up. There's a difference between messy and messed up. Messy is arguing about how to pack the car for a family vacation. Messed up is stealing the money that you were going to use for your family vacation and running off with a coworker and leaving your family stranded without a car. Okay. That's messed up. See, Messy, messed up. It's different. And I can say our families are always going to be messy, but they don't have to be messed up. Family matters. That's why we're doing this series, and we want to take families that are living in the messed up and move to just messy. And stick with us, stick with us. There's gonna be some great things over this series and you may even wanna invite your family to it. Because I can see some of y'all right now like, "Mm, I wish my aunt was here. Mm." (laughs) She needs to learn about this. All right, to have a family you love, you have to love the family you have. Okay, let me say that again. To have a family you love, you have to love the family you have. Will you guys say that with me? To have a family you love, you have to love the family you have. You don't get a choice. Let me tell you about my family. See, growing up, when my mom was pregnant, got pregnant with me, she was in a relationship, but they were both single, and they didn't end up getting married. So she was on her way to becoming a single mom, and she didn't really know what to do. So she reached out to family. She moved in with her uncle and his wife. Now part of what's crazy about this is that her uncle and his wife, they were unable to have kids. So she moved in with them when they were pregnant, she had me, I lived there, and they stayed as a family the entire time that I was a child. That's what it was. So I thought of it like I had three parents, right? I called both my biological mom and my great aunt mom. I called my great uncle father. That's what we did, that's how it was. And I gotta be honest, it took me a little while to know that this was weird, right? Because how you grow up, you think everybody grows up that way. So I'd look around the neighborhood and be like, I wonder when they're getting their second mom. Uh, they're behind. Eventually, I figured out it was weird. It wasn't the norm, right? But we all have weirdness in our families. We all have not normal things. But over time, I began to notice a little bit of pain. See, I had a good family. I had an extra parent for crying out loud. I had all the components that make up a good family, but there was some hurt there. And then I realized who wasn't there, my biological father. He wasn't there. And eventually I started to feel the pain of rejection, feeling the pain of rejection of not knowing my biological father, not even knowing who he was. Have you experienced rejection in your family? Now for some of you, you saw the rejection. You saw someone become an outcast or a misfit You saw someone be rejected, and you witnessed the pain up close and personal. Now, for some of us, though, you were rejected. You became an outcast. You were told you don't fit. You don't belong. You're rejected by distance, absence, silence, or just going the other way, being somebody who doesn't fit in. And I know that hurts. It is so hard to be rejected by your family, but family matters. Don't give up. Don't give up on your family, family matters, okay? None of us have a perfect family, none of us have a sitcom family, but we all have families like the families in the Bible. We all have families like the family in the Bible, you know why? Because they're messy, and a lot of them are messed up. I'll bet you, we can relate. Okay, let me tell you how messed up this family is, okay? This guy named Abraham had a wife named Sarah, and they were traveling one, and then once and there was a powerful king, I believe it was a king, who hit on Abraham's wife. was like, hey, what's, what's her story? And Abraham was like, oh, that's my sister. He told someone his wife was his sister so that he didn't get hurt or thrown in jail. And he, you know the worst part about it? He did it twice. I'm like, Sarah, how are you still with this man? They're messed up, but... Abraham was also a man of great faith. He believed in God. He trusted in his promise. And God guaranteed that Abraham would have, a, would have descendants. Not just one descendant, descendants that number more than the stars. More descendants that he could imagine. That was God's promise to him. But Abraham got real old and still didn't have kids. And that's where the story picks up. No kids, real old. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. This is one of the funniest verses in the Bible. Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. Like, so you want me to sleep with this much younger woman? Okay, honey but know that I'm doing it for you. (laughs) That's one that you can't answer too quickly, right? It can't be like, yes, right? He probably had to think about it for a little bit so he didn't get, is it a test? Is this a test? Okay, that's weird, right? That's an odd story. But let me give you some of the cultural context. It wouldn't wouldn't have been as weird in their day, just messy. Okay, many men had multiple wives, you know, thousands of years ago. It was part of how it went. I'm not saying it's right. It was what it was though, because that helped them produce a male heir. Every family was driven to produce a male heir because the male heir would carry the family name, the family line on into the future. And that's how you identified your family because family was so important in that culture. The male heir didn't just keep the family name, he also kept all the stuff. So all of the land, all the servants, all the money, all the horses, all of everything would have, would have passed on to the male heir. And if they couldn't have a male heir, it would pass on to the next closest male relative, who in Abraham's case would have been Lot, who was not clearly identified as a brother or a nephew. Again, this is a messy family, right? Lot. And Abraham had conflict with Lot over some real estate already. So they had a bad real estate deal that fell out, and so they didn't want Lot to get that. They were gonna lose everything, okay? So that male heir was really important. So we keep going in the story. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarah with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abraham, this is your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abraham replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. This isn't just messy, this isn't just messed up, this is like Jerry Springer messed up. My husband's baby mama is treating me with contempt even though she works as a maid in my house. Okay, now we might not be able to relate to the circumstance, but we can relate to this argument if you're married especially. Have you ever been in a relationship and the other person makes a decision and it goes badly and then it's your fault? Oh, that, okay, don't look at each other right now because I got some, okay, don't want to be in that car on the way home. That's pretty common to happen, right? And then Abraham does what so many of us do in a no-win situation, especially us guys, right? Whatever you want, honey. Right? We throw it, whatever you want, honey. Sure, it's a no-win situation, and we do that, and we eject from that. Now, see, that conflict is messy. That kind of argument is messy, but that's pretty normal. That happens in a lot of relationships. But this is messed up because it's not about what restaurant to eat at. It's messed up because it's not about a financial decision. It's messed up because it's about a child. A child. So Sarah and Abraham force Hagar to leave and Hagar is rejected. More than that, her son, Abraham's son Ishmael, was rejected before he was even born. They were sent away. That took what was a messy situation to a messed up situation. And it wasn't Ishmael's fault, right? He was born rejected. But scripture goes on to say that he would live in hostility with all of his relatives not just his absent father, not just his angry stepmom, but his stepbrother, his half brother, his cousins, his nieces, his nephews. He lived in hostility towards them. That's how Ishmael grew up, because he was rejected before he was even born. In fact, this situation is so messed up, it's still playing out in the Middle East today. The descendants of Ishmael are at war with the descendants of Abraham's child, who turns out to be Isaac. That conflict has been going on for thousands of years, and it all started with Abraham's rejection of his son. So make no mistake about it, Sarah treated Hagar harshly but Abraham rejected his son with his silence. Abraham rejected Ishmael by his silence, and that's messed up. See, I know rejection within our families is painful. That's not the design or the purpose of family. Rejection will take what is messy, and it will make it messed up. That's what rejection does. And for some of you, I just want to talk to you right now. Some of you are sitting here, There's maybe something tingling or there's something going on, and you feel like Ishmael, right? You were rejected before you were born, and I want to tell you, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Your family was dysfunctional before you showed up. And there are some things that happened to you, you didn't make them happen because you were either not born or you were too young to control your circumstances, too young to control the circumstances of other people, the choices that people make. If you feel like that's you, been rejected by your family, I just want to say it's not your fault. And the guilt that you're carrying around with you, you don't need to carry that guilt because you didn't cause this. You aren't the reason this happened, it happened to you. So I want you to know that. We're going to keep going. See, I know that we've dug up some of those memories and reopened some wounds. But there's a reason for that. It might look bleak, but church, let me tell you, family can be different. Family doesn't have to be messed up. It could just be messy. Families don't have to be places of rejection. In fact, they shouldn't be but we can make a change today that will change the trajectory of our family for generations and generations if y'all go with me. Remember to have a family you love, you have to love the family you have. Now for some of y'all, well all of us, right? We didn't choose this family, but you can choose to love them, you're given them. And the opposite of rejection is acceptance. Acceptance is the opposite of rejection, right? And what I'm asking you, if you don't feel like you were rejected by your family, but you've seen others getting rejected by your family, you've watched it, I want you to be an instrument of acceptance in your family. That's part of your purpose. It's what God put you here to do. You're in the family that you didn't choose for a reason and you're here to be an instrument of acceptance. You don't have to be the matriarch, the patriarch, or somebody that's well respected or in control of the family. You can just be you and accept people and make a difference. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you are, it's you. And I guarantee you, there are people in your family that are hurting, that are bitter, and that have been rejected. So stop the rejection, especially these cycles of rejection, and be an instrument of acceptance. Look, who's the outcast? Who's the black sheep? Who's been rejected? Who's Hagar? Who's the Hagar in your family? Who's the Ishmael in your family? The folks that have been rejected, I want you to accept them. Maybe it's a parent or a grandparent who are so in deep with politics and conspiracy theories that they're hard to talk to. Maybe it's a cousin who came out of the closet. Maybe it's a stepchild who's lashing out and you don't understand why. Maybe it's an uncle or an aunt who deal with mental illness. Maybe it's a sibling who's a hostile critic of you and everything you do or maybe it's just a relative who was on the wrong side of a conflict with another family member that's been excommunicated, or somebody who's an oddball weird that doesn't fit in. Whoever it is, I want you to accept them. Now, acceptance doesn't mean you agree with everything they do. It means you love who they are. Hey, okay, feel free to clap. It's not golf, right, it's not golf. You You can let it go, okay. Acceptance is separating who a person is from what a person does. It's a difference between identity and behavior, and you can do that. Acceptance is about separating their value as a person from your opinion on how they live their life. Their value as a person from your opinion of how they live their life. You might be right. You might be right, but it's not worth it. See, Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, don't sacrifice your ability to make a difference to make a point. Yeah, mm, he's so good, he makes me happy, right? Don't sacrifice your ability to make a difference to make a point, and when you need to be right, that's what you're doing. You're making a point, you're not making a difference. So what acceptance is about It's about separating the value of the person from your opinion on how they're living their life because everyone is a masterpiece. Everyone was created by God and is worthy of love. He loves them. So we can love them through acceptance. That's how we love. We can love through acceptance. That's how we love our family. Everyone has that value. And even if the person isn't living a life like the masterpiece, or at least you don't think so, they're still worthy of love. You're not the judge of that. So this is what I'm asking you to do. I want you to reach out. One of our values here at City Church is courageously connect, and this will be courageous. This will be connection. This will be courageously connection to reach out. Send a text, phone call, drop by their house. Don't send an email because nobody checks their email. That's not an easy way out of this one. I'm like, oh, I emailed them, I did it. Reach out, connect with this person, courageously connect not because they need your approval, but because they need your acceptance. (laughs) Acceptance itself implies differences. When we say acceptance, we know there's gonna be differences because if there were no differences, they'd just fit in. There'd just be unity, everything would be fine. No, acceptance implies differences. So God knew when he designed the family that there are going to be differences, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be mess, But what I'm asking you to do as an agent of acceptance is to look past it. Look past it, look at their value as a person, not what you believe they're doing wrong. Here's what acceptance is. Acceptance is love without judgment. Acceptance is love without judgment, and that is radical love. And that's the kind of radical love we need to show our families. That's the kind of radical love our world needs so desperately, love without judgment, and you can do that. Now, what I'm not telling you to do, what acceptance doesn't mean, again, is tolerating dangerous behavior from loved ones or around your home. There are four things I wanna point out. Abuse, severe addiction, toxic relationships, and criminal activity. Don't try to fix them. Encourage them to get professional help, because if you could fix your family, you would have fixed them already. Enabling is not acceptance. Enabling is not love. See, what I've seen so often is that when people are engaging in these dangerous behaviors, and somebody says, oh, I'm loving them, I'm accepting them. What you're doing is you're enabling them. And when you're enabling them, you're actually rejecting the other people in your family. You're rejecting the other people around you because the environment isn't safe, and they say, I have to go. I have to go if this person is the only one that you're focused on. If you're enabling this person, it's actually rejecting me. And so those are the dangerous behaviors. Those are some acceptance. And it's still acceptance to love them. You can still separate what they do from who they are and love who they are and draw boundaries around what they do. It's still acceptance. Just draw some boundaries for the safety of everybody else in your life, okay? Some of y'all are here today though and you're not thinking about being agents, instruments of acceptance. You've been rejected by your family, and you feel like Hagar, or you feel like Ishmael, and that's where you are today. You're the outcast. You're the misfit. You're the one that's been rejected, abandoned, disowned. Maybe even you just don't fit in with your family. So what do we do? Well, let me tell you something. When you don't deal with that rejection, it turns into bitterness. The hostility turns into bitterness, and hostility, we mask it with a lot of other things like anger, sadness, depression, but it's hostility, and that hostility turns into bitterness, it just does every time. So you have to deal with the rejection, and that's what I'm asking you to do today. I want you to deal with it. If you've been rejected, I want you to come face to face with it. Okay, so how do you know that you're bitter? Because if I took a poll, if I was like, hey, every bitter person, raise your hand. You probably wouldn't raise your hand, right? Bitterness isn't something that we brag about or say that's part of our messiness. But bitterness generally affects so many people. It affects a lot of us. So let me give you three signs that you might have some bitterness in your life. There's three things that I see folks that are, that are struggling with bitterness do. You avoid, you go to a dark place, or you engage in reckless and destructive behavior. So let me show you, the reckless destructive behavior is lashing out and you're being dangerous, risky behavior. And you might not even know why, but you end up hurting yourself and hurting others. And a lot of folks that engage in the criminal activity, a lot of folks in our prison system right now have been rejected by their family And because they don't see their own value, there's no point in life. Because they don't see their value, they don't value what they do. Might as well live fast, die young. That's what the reckless, destructive thing that we do when we've been bitter. That's where bitterness sets in and that's what we act like. And so if that's you, if you're in that reckless, destructive place, try to stop the pattern. Get help to stop the pattern so that you're not a danger to yourself or to others. Now, others of us, our bitterness sends us to a dark place because we've been rejected. Whenever we're reminded of that rejection, whenever we even see the people that rejected us or get rejected again, we turn that hostility inward. We turn that hostility inward, and bitterness consumes us from the inside. This shows itself in a lot of ways. Depression, anxiety, panic attacks. It could even be self harm When rejection sends us to a dark place, it comes from the bitterness within us. So if you're a person who goes to the dark place, I wanna ask you, learn how to deal with it in a healthy way. Learn how to deal with it, figure it out. And if you don't know how to do that, and you don't have anybody that can help you do that, we'll help you do that. We'll help you deal with that in a way. And if you are here today and you have those thoughts of self-harm, do not leave without being prayed for. Do not leave without seeing one of us because we love you, we care about you, and we are here for you. Don't let that dark place get even darker. Other people, you avoid. You avoid. And when you avoid, your rejection triggers you to flee by any means necessary. You escape, you check out, you do all those things. A lot of us stuff those emotions down and don't deal with them. We experience a feeling, we say, nope, right? Our bitterness has pushed us to not deal with the pain. We avoid it at all costs. And one of the things I see, right, one of the ways we do this that is societally acceptable is achievement. We avoid our bitterness through achievement. We say, if I'm good enough, if I earn enough, if I get enough promotions, if I get good enough grades, if I do, 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 work, 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 then I won't be bitter because I won't be rejected. I've earned the love, I've earned the acceptance, but the bitterness is still there. You can't earn your way out of rejection. You have to be accepted. Now, I know avoidance really well, because that's how I dealt with my bitterness. You remember me talking about my story a little bit earlier? With my biological father, see I've avoided the truth, I avoided the truth about my rejection, excuse me. I can't even talk about it, y'all. Can I be really honest with you guys? I really don't wanna talk about this. It's painful, it hurts. So my tongue is trying to stop me, so forgive me. My avoidance was socially acceptable. When somebody would ask me about it, I'd say something like, well, he didn't care about me, why should I care about him? And people would understand, oh yeah, that seems reasonable, but that was masking bitterness. It was avoiding the rejection that I felt. Eventually, after I get married, I'm in my 20s, I don't know this guy at all, I don't know who he is, but I'm in my 20s, and I'm married, and I start to start to deal with it, and not because I chose, not because I said, oh, this is a problem, but this bitterness, this rejection, showed up in my marriage and showed up in my other relationships, and eventually, my wife, someone who cared greatly about me, became a catalyst for saying, hey, I think you need to deal with it, because eventually, your bitterness and your rejection, it hurts other people, and so what I decide to do, in this bitterness, well, the thing I need to do is I need to find him. I need to meet him." And my mom was always great. She said, anytime you want to know about him, let me know. And I always rejected her, but I said, hey, this time I want to find out who he is. I want to meet him. I want to let him know. I didn't know him at all. had no idea who he was. So I'm in my 20s, and I just said, okay, he was a basketball referee. And so I show up to his basketball game, and I confront him after the basketball game. Not a great idea, by the way, but it's what I did. But he goes, yeah, let's go to breakfast tomorrow. And so I go, okay, we're gonna go to breakfast tomorrow. When I told my mom about this, you know what she said? Bring your wallet and some money. He probably expects you to pay for it. So I go to breakfast and I meet him and I talk to him and it turns out he's not a monster. It turns out he's a person who made decisions that hurt me a lot, but a person nonetheless. Not a ghost, a real person. And see, in my head, I thought, okay, when I meet my dad, when I meet him, this wound will be healed. The bitterness is gonna stop. It didn't stop. When I met him, all it did was dig up all of these hurtful emotions, all of the rejection, all the depression, all the bitterness, all the hostility came out and I was not ready to have that relationship. I thought this was gonna solve my problem but it didn't solve the problem. It's not how it works. So I continued living in my bitterness and rejecting the people that I love See, when you don't deal with your bitterness and your rejection, you push the people you love away because guess what, at an arm's length, they can't reject you. When you keep them a little bit away from you, they can't reject you, and that's how I lived my life. So, it didn't solve it magically, right? I wished it would've, but it didn't. Instead, and I wasn't ready to continue this relationship, instead, I had to take time to work on the healing And from my bitterness and the hostility that came from rejection, I I had to start by facing it. And it's been a lot of work. It's been years. And maybe yours isn't going to be years. I would love that if God blessed you with that. That would be amazing. But the first thing you have to do is face it. The first thing you have to do is deal with it because you can't heal something that you're not ready to deal with and I'm talking to you from the other side of it. I'm not saying my life is perfect, I'm not saying I still don't keep others at arm's length or reject each other, but I can tell you that that bitterness is gone. And I'll tell you more about that next week and about how that happened, but over time, I stopped avoiding this pain, I dealt with it, and it's not easy to do, and I wanna ask you to face it today. Stop denying, stop hurting, face the pain of rejection. Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you so much for all of these beautiful people that are here, God. I think of your heart for these people, God, and the pain that they've been through, Father. I think of of the rejection that's gone on in our families, God. I think of all the bitterness that's swept under the surface and under the rug. God, I pray that you come to people, Father, and that you break the chains of bitterness and rejection in their life. Father, you are the father to the fatherless. You defend orphans and you defend widows. You come to the weak and you make us strong. Your heart is to love us, Father, and you are a good Father. You're not messed up. You're not even messy, God. You are a perfect Father who won't reject us, who won't push you away, God. And you say it makes you happy to adopt us into your family, Father. Thank you for adopting us into your family, and I pray that we can experience that, Father. Just like the people baptized who are adopted into your family, God, I pray that people choosing to deal with the rejection and bitterness but allow them to remember how much you love them and that they always have a family, no matter how it works out, with theirs. And if you've never believed in this God before, it's real simple. He sent Jesus so that you could spend eternity with the good Father forever. God, it's amazing. God, I pray that you bless us, Father. Please give us the courage, please give us the strength to face something difficult and make a difference in our families that we can love the family we have. In your name, amen.